Good morning and happy summer. My name is Reverend Marisol Caballero. I am assistant minister here at First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, and I am so pleased to see you all here, and I want to wish you a very big welcome. If you're here for the first time, an even bigger one, and we'd like to invite you to, if you haven't done it already, Speak to the people at the welcome table, put a name tag on so we can greet you by name, and stick around afterwards. We have coffee and bagels and wonderful conversation in the, um, the fellowship hall, house and hall, right out these doors and through some more doors and to the right. All right, let's join in our Lighting our chalice. Please join me in the words by which we light our chalice. You'll find them in your order of service. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship by Amy Bowden Freeman. Once more, the earth has turned toward the light of the sun. As we are bathed in the light of a new day, so may we greet the dawning of fresh possibility. Once more, we awaken from our slumber as our bodies rise to meet the challenges and pleasures of living. So may our hearts and minds open with promise. Once more, we gather for worship as we join our voices in word and song. So may this assembly bring forth wholeness. Come. Let us worship. So we come here, and we'll talk about this more in the sermon, but we come here from so many varied beliefs, so many different traditions, so many different upbringings, and we rally around many things that unite us as one church, one congregation community. One of those things, and a very good one, happens to be our mission statement. And we love it so much, and we internalize it, and we work toward it so much that we say it each week to remind ourselves of it. And we wrote it on the wall. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our reading today, excuse me. It's called, You Get Used to It, and it's by Barbara Merritt. How many Unitarian Universalists does it it take to change a light bulb in our congregation? The answer, none. We don't change light bulbs. It is easy enough for us to sit in the darkness and remember the light of the past. As we honor the memory of a former brilliance, our task is to live within the confines and limitations of today. True story. When I arrived in 1983, I was told that the lights under the sanctuary balcony didn't work, never had worked, and couldn't be fixed. It wasn't a big deal. We have few services in the evenings, and there are plenty of lights in that sacred space to to do work. Only our new sexton, Ron London, did not believe that they were forever broken. He decided to investigate. He took off the glass plate and found a thick, dark coating of dust and dirt. He thought, there's no way this could just be the light bulbs, but I'll put a fresh one in and just see what happens. 
And then the miracle occurred. There was light, and it was good. Incredulous, he changed the bulbs in the other six fixtures, and light poured forth. Apparently, the bulbs had burnt out in 1939, and no one had ever changed them. The dust he removed from the recesses was in place when Hitler invaded Poland, and when John Steinbeck published The Grapes of Wrath. We don't know whether the seven bulbs burnt out all at once, or flickered off one at a time. In either case, someone decided the fixtures didn't work, And that transmitted wisdom left us in the dark. Many years ago, I faced a similar situation at the Parsonage where I lived in Illinois. For five years, I had washed dishes and stared out of a smudged street, grimy kitchen window. Because the window had been painted shut for decades, I accustomed myself to looking through the gray film. Then along came a professional painter, and not knowing the limitations of my world, he hit the window rim with a hammer and unstuck it. He took out the storm windows, the panes were washed and put back. The task required a total of 20 minutes. For five years, I had resigned myself to the inevitability of blurred vision. Sometimes we settle too quickly for seeing through a glass darkly. Sometimes the clarity and illumination we seek is close at hand. Conditions can change. Windows can open. We just need to stop believing that we already have enough light. And now, please join me in the spirit of prayer and meditation. Spirit of life and of love, of light through dark windows and bulbs being changed in our lives. Be with us in this place as we open ourselves up to new ways of doing and thinking and being. Be with all of us through the snags and the splinters in the heel of our lives. Be with us as we joy, as we experience joy and celebrate all the happy things that are going on in our lives as well. We think of all the people who are going without the things that they need, who live in harm's way. We hold them in our hearts, whether they are far away, at our border, or here amongst us. We pray these things and many more in the name of all that is good and holy. Amen. And now during our musical meditation, I'd like to invite you to bring all of that stuff that you brought in with you, the good, the bad, the things you're celebrating, the things you're mourning, and take it with you if you'd like and light a candle so that that thought can go into that flame and that flame can Carry that smoke up so that it can become the very air that we all breathe, so we can celebrate and mourn with you, and so that you don't have to do it alone.
A lifelong, unchurched man suddenly develops a vague religious urge and decides to join a church, any church, so he sets out to find one. His first stop is a Roman Catholic church, where he asks what he has to do to join. The priest mentions diligent study and the affirmation of the Nicene and Apostles' Creed. Then, just to see how much the man knows, the priest asks him where Jesus was born. Pittsburgh, he answers. Get out, cries the shocked priest. Next stop is the Southern Baptist Church, where the seeker is told he would have to learn Bible verses. Swear belief in the Nicene and Apostles' Creeds, swear off booze and be baptized. By immersion, not just some sissy sprinkling. The Baptist preacher then, to see how much this man knows, asks him where Jesus was born. Philadelphia? He asks tentatively, once bitten, twice shy. Get out, you heathen! Yells the preacher. Our perplexed protagonist finally walks into a UU church where he is told all he has to do is sign a membership book. You mean I don't have to renounce anything, swear to anything, or be dunked in anything? That's right, we have no special tests for membership, no dogma. We support total individual freedom of belief. Then I'll join. But tell me, where was Jesus born? Why, Bethlehem, of course. The man's face lights up. I knew it was someplace in Pennsylvania. The biggest fallacy in explaining Unitarian Universalism is to say that as you use, we can believe whatever we want because we don't require a creedal test for membership in our churches. Now, while we don't have a set doctrine or a singular holy book, this is far from true. I remember a colleague um, telling me years ago about her time spent organizing a campus ministry program at an East Coast university. The Campus Crusaders for Christ group had plastered the campus with posters about their meetings that read, You've got questions, we've got answers. So, the fledgling UU student group made posters too. You've got answers, we've got questions. Certainty of theological belief is not the greatest gift of the religious liberal. But we all have found ourselves in this same position. Someone who cannot pronounce the name of our church, cocks their head to the side and asks with a skeptical tone, if you don't all believe in God or Jesus or the Bible, what do you believe in? Well, here at First Church of Austin, we often lean against our mission statement as an explanation, which does say a good deal about what we come here to do, but it doesn't talk about belief. I remember explaining UUism to the mother of a teen patient when I was a hospital chaplain in San Francisco years ago. From our previous conversation, I could tell she had very little experience of the world outside of the small town where they had been transported from. And so, to answer her questions about my faith, I remember using less eloquent, less concise version of 
what we stand for and believe, but with a similar gist to the mission statement that we have here. She smiled and nodded as she listened and then informed me enthusiastically that the kind of church I'm describing is called Born Again and that she'd attended one before. It's true. I described to her any other church that endeavors to create loving community and affect positive change in the world as they see it. More often, my UU elevator speech or nutshell description of our faith will include a vague summary of our seven principles, such as we believe that everyone is worthy of respect and dignity and should be supported in their search for truth wherever that journey takes them. Of course, this is much too oversimplified. And I often leave those sorts of conversations with feelings of inadequacy. I imagine the frustration of newbies who didn't grow up UU like I did or spend a decade preparing for ministry or who don't own books, shelves and shelves of books on the subject. How must they feel in a similar situation if I'm an ordained UU minister and walking away feeling inadequate? In the most recent issue of the UU World magazine, Doug Muter writes an article entitled, I Don't Believe in the Seven Principles, in which he talks about this experience. He says, if you've ever tried to present the principles to creed-seeking newcomers, you've probably seen their disappointment. And, their expressions seem to ask, the principles fail as a creed because they're too easy. Billions of people who literally would not want to be caught dead in a UU church can nod along with them. Take the second principle, he says, justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. Does some other religion take a bold stand for injustice in human relations? People may argue about what justice means, but, I mean, everyone's for it. The principles are littered with feel-good terms like that, he says. Spiritual growth, democratic process, search for truth and meaning, world community, peace, liberty. If all Unitarian Universalism wants you to do is to approve of such concepts, to affirm and promote them, it's not very demanding, is it? So, taken as a creed, The principles define a religion just one step up from believe whatever you want. Believe a few really easy things, and beyond that, believe whatever you want. Now, I love our principles. And if you are unfamiliar with them, they're right at the beginning of our hymnal. They were right at the beginning. Are they at the end? No, they're (laughs) They are, yes, they are close to the beginning of our hymnal. <laughs> and, uh, and they begin, we, the member congregations, blah, blah, blah. And I love them, though they lack the ability to comfort me in trying times. I've returned to their poetic language time and time again to draw inspiration. 
I'm proud to be a Unitarian Universalist every time I read them. And I adore the debate-rich process by which they were lovingly authored over the years. I had no idea what to expect from Muter's article with such a title, but it acted on me and my difficulty in articulating our core beliefs as the light bulb changing sexton and the window cleaning painter did in today's reading. The missing puzzle piece had been right in front of me the whole time. Margaret Fuller once said, Cherish your best hopes as a faith and abide by them in action. Muter asserts that in thinking of the principles as beliefs, we've been getting it all wrong. Instead, we should understand and explain them as visions that can guide our actions. That's how the seven principles turn into a challenging spiritual path, he says. To believe something is to accept it as fact. And so, in his admittedly blunt tone, Muter points out that none of what is listed in the principles actually exists. You can't take a photo of or measure the interdependent web of, of existence. You, um, and the inherent worth and dignity of every person is surely not always observable even within these walls. Now, where the light shone through was in noticing the huge distinction between belief and vision. I may not believe that the right of conscience already exists everywhere, but I can do my part to envision and act its reality into existence. Sounds kind of magical. Thinking and hoping something into being. But hold on. Now, I've heard this critique from some, whom, though belonging to other faith traditions, are pretty familiar with our faith, who say something akin to, Unitarian Universalism is mainly for folks who like to name drop all of the famous people who were Unitarian or Universalist themselves, but not really they, um, without really, excuse me, um, who did great things, but not really have to engage in doing great things themselves. This is the critique. Though I did quote Margaret Fuller earlier, I'm guilty as charged, this is not a completely fair criticism. Considering that for our relatively small numbers in the U.S., UUs are generally loud and proud when it comes to many social issues, and we have helped to affect much change. But I can see how attention paid to our haughtiness over the giants of our past can distract us from a deeper engagement and exploration of such terms as belief and vision and the difference there. This may seem like a bit of nitpicky semantics, but don't you use live for this sort of thing? Really? It took over 20 years of drafts and debates before the current version of our principles and sources were agreed upon in 1984. But what we know to be true is that words matter. 
When the girls' school of Austin was renting the church this past year, I noticed that one classroom had a reminder posted on the wall. Before you speak, is it true? Is it kind? Is it helpful? The truth is, as Muter says, truths can take care of themselves. If something simply is, no further work is required of us, right? On a Sunday morning, I can believe just as well in my pajamas as I can at a Unitarian Universalist worship service. This is where the once dim and dingy principles become illuminated. The UUA bylaws require us to re-examine the language of the principles every 15 years, yet they have remained largely unchanged for 30 years. This is because the current language of this sacred living document already has so much to work with if we change the way we think about and talk about them. Imagine if we were known for envisioning the world we hope for into reality instead of wishy-washy beliefs, as we tend to call them. Imagine if affirming and promoting meant to us a charge for our daily lives, rather than, if we're honest, a self-righteous manifesto that we can all nod our heads to. To change the way we think and speak of our principles as visions rather than beliefs is to shift our reliance on ourselves and our heads, where we can often get stuck, into a more demanding reliance on each other's hearts and hands to work toward the world, the principles and vision in this community. Here at First UU of Austin, our values, missions, mission, and ends document, together, um, which is available online, if you please do look at it, um, and it's in hard copy in the mailroom, copies of it. Um, so yes, the, our values, missions, and end, mission and ends document together with our covenant of healthy relations, is practically a how-to manual for envisioning our principles into reality. So the good news is we have a great toolbox to start with. Our covenant is as much a means of keeping ourselves accountable to each other as a means of keeping others accountable to us. In this way, this faith of ours requires more commitment of us than the recitation of any creed could. We don't have to search long to find the there there. In 1979, then-president of the Unitarian Universalist Association said, the old watchwords of liberalism, uh, freedom, reason, tolerance, worthy though they may be, are simply not catching the imagination of the contemporary world. They describe a process for approaching the religious depths, approaching the religious depths. But they testify to no intimate acquaintance with the depths themselves. If we are to speak to a new age, we must supplement our seeking with some profound religious finds. Personally, I think we may be on to something good. And as Doug Muter says in his article, We don't have to worry about answering the question, what do we believe? Because that's the wrong question. 
The question should be, what do we envision? May it be so. Please join me in the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Thears, a religion which, like sunshine, goes everywhere. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.